friends. Welcome back to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. Joining me this week is a longtime friend, good friend, uh, I haven't seen in a while, Mr. Colton Moore. What's up, buddy? Aloha. How are you? I'm good, man. So uh, you just said coming over from the in-laws. You're staying there in Santo. Yep. Santo, Texas. Santo, Texas, man. That's that's beautiful country out there. It is. It's beautiful. It's cool. Little town, small, quaint. I like it. That's where we stay when we're... Uh, we live in the hill country now, so when we come up here to the DFW area, we've got business to take care of or family to see. We stay with them usually. So, hey man, it's nice. Nothing wrong with that because yeah. with you guys being down in the hill country, yeah, DFW is no longer the uh, close area no. like it was many years ago for you guys. No, and you four were- hour drive, <sighs> not too bad, but just enough to you got to come up. You got we plan ahead. It's like all right. Let's squeeze everything in in four or five days and go up and take care of everything and see all the family. My family lives up here and and my wife. So awesome, man. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a good trip because you can knock it all out and it's a central location, really. Yeah, it is, especially for you guys if you're traveling and playing. And then you said your wife is a wedding coordinator. Yep, she is. So, so she's she's, she's also kind of on the road. Most of her stuff's pretty local, Kerrville, San Antonio area, but um, she's got some stuff because we just moved to Kerrville last uh last July so she's still got some weddings and stuff that were kind of uh overflow from when we still lived up here so I got you still having to travel up and take care of all those yeah man and and I guess you talk about two professions we'll get into your other profession here in a second yeah two professions that kind of almost go hand in hand in the way that they travel is a wedding coordinator and a musician yeah yeah pretty similar um yeah, with hers, it's like I said, most of it's pretty local, but it's all it's definitely late nights. You know, it's it's an all day. It's a setup, so it's you know showing in for load up for load in. You know, at a show and setting up, and then waiting. You know, waiting, waiting, waiting around for the uh, bride to walk down the aisle, and then staying there all night and coordinating the the whole uh, reception and all that, and then you know leaving at twelve one o'clock in the morning. It's definitely similar, very similar to the day to day, you know, play by play deal. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but as a musician, I guess you've never really had to say, okay, guys, it's time to cut the cake. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Garter and bouquet time. Yeah. You've never had to do that. No. Maybe first dance. Yeah. Maybe first dance. Yeah. I get that. But the other stuff. And man, that is so interesting. That is so interesting that, you know, two worlds like that collide that are very similar, but they're vastly different at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It is the same with the late nights and everything because it is. You're, you're all in. Both professions, you're all in. For sure. Um, but also, you have another side when you're not playing the music is your outdoor lifestyle, and you do a lot of guided hunts. I do all over the place, all over. Yeah, mainly in Texas. Um, so I own I own the an outfitting business with a, a good friend of mine, and uh, I've worked ever since I quit. Kind of got off the road and quit playing music full time. That's what I've done, um, and I worked for different outfits across the state, and uh, finally got to the point where. Um, just like, well, I'm tired of working for somebody. I want to do my own thing and, you know, treat customers how I want to treat them and, right. and uh, hunt the animals, the specific species that I want to hunt. You know, I don't want to be doing what other people want to do. I kind of want to do what I want to do. And um, so started that a little over two years ago, right at two years ago now. And um, it's going really good for us. I mean, we're super busy. That's my I tell people that's my day job. You know, that's what I do right. 99% of the time. And then music's like that other. It's the moonlighting gig. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of hard work goes into it. The, it's crazy how similar those lifestyles are. Oh, yeah. And people ask me sometimes on hunts. Most people that hunt with us don't have any idea I play music. And that's cool. I want to keep it that way. Like Separate. I'm, I'm your hunting guide. You know, I'm not your, 
I'm not Colton Moore that plays music and come out and most of the time, 95% of the time, I don't bring a guitar to hunting camp. We don't play songs. We don't talk about it. We listen to, you know, listen to the Bluetooth speaker around the campfire or whatever yeah. and drink beer. And that's cool. That's, that's how I want it to be. You know, that's what, that's what hunting camp's all about. The camaraderie is, is, uh, you know, a large percentage of, uh, of being in hunting camp, just the people you're around and the atmosphere. And then the hunting's just icing on the cake for right. us. Um, Anyways, but, uh, so yeah, we started the outfit and, um, that pretty much takes up a lot of my time and I've kind of made it a goal, um, this year to, to spend more time on music and I have, we've released two songs already or three, yeah, I guess three songs already this year. And then, um, I've got a few more to come. So I've definitely spent more time this year on music than I have in the past six years. Um, spent a lot of time in the studio, a lot of time at home, just doing the doing my homework yeah. side of it. You know, writing and becoming trying to become better at guitar and and become a better singer and writer and um, yeah, just spending more using more of my brainwaves going towards the the music instead of of uh, just hunting and being in the outdoors. So yeah, but I'm I'm sure that 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 outdoor portion of it, I'm sure that there's some some song lyrics that come to mind where you're waiting. Oh, for sure. Because there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting. There's That's a lot what, of waiting. Yeah, I, I kind of got off, off track there, but the lifestyles are so similar. So as a hunting guide, like my day-to-day is wake up at, you know, between four and five, depending on what time of year it is, make coffee, uh, you know, wait on people all day pretty much. You're always waiting really? on your yeah. hunter. You're like, all right, you ready to go? You know, it's just all, you're always waiting on something more. Like you said, you know, waiting on animals to move or whatever. The way we hunt is a Western style. So it's not, we're not sitting over a corn feeder waiting for someone to come in. Excellent. We're, we're hiking our butts off. An average day is five miles on foot a day for us, um, which is cool because it keeps you in shape and keeps you healthy. Um, but yeah, you're always just, you know, hurry up and wait. It's like, hurry up, wake up in the morning, drink a coffee, and then wait around all day for something to happen. Uh, but it's always a late night. You know, and most of the time you got to think you're on somebody's vacation. So they want to stay up late and have a few drinks and talk. And it's like, man, this is my, it's my job. And I've got to be up at four in the morning to make coffee and breakfast for you, you know, but it's, it's so similar because it's a, it's a late night and an early morning. It's a grind. It's always a grind. doesn't matter how easy the hunt is. If it ends on the first afternoon or if it ends on the last evening, um, it's just always a grind. And it's the same thing with touring. You know, you wake up and, once you're four or five days into a run, um, it's you're grinding hard. You know you're starting so, to wear down pretty fast. For sure, yeah, yeah, you wear down quick. The only difference is you're not doing a five mile hike. Exactly, you're loading in gear may yeah. feel like a five mile hike. Yeah. But well, uh, and a ninety minute show is a five mile hike. Oh, very yeah, much. That'll so. wear you out. Well, and you you've had a history of you have a pretty high energy show. Yeah, you yeah, know? with the, with the band. With the sure. band, you do a pretty high energy show. Yeah. I can remember the first time I saw you full band. Uh, we were just talking about this before the show. 2012-ish, maybe? Sounds about right. And I saw you at the Thirsty Armadillo in Fort Worth. The new location, not the original location, but the new location. Yeah. And you guys came out guns blazing. Oh, yeah. That, For, was the, that was the goal. It's like, let's melt some faces, you know? You, you, got, you definitely achieved that. <laughs> um, man, the high energy. Um, and I'm going to get into a little bit here uh, as we get into your music a little bit more and you play some songs is I'm going to say you were probably almost a decade ahead of your time. Yeah. Music wise. That's always been my opinion. I've always thought that your sound, the way you cultivated a musical, I don't know, your 
melting pot of everything that you brought to the table, I think you were a little bit ahead of it. I think I think what you were doing in 2012 is what we're starting to hear mainstreaming. True. And I'm not going to say Texas country. That's the one thing I have always said is we, we always have labeled it Texas country. My idea has always been the music we're hearing now is what I called alter- alternative music in the 90s. Exactly. Yeah. A little bit would, of country. A little country influence. Yeah, you got a country influence for sure. But it was more singer-songwriter rock. Yep. It's probably most easily thought about what my mom considered folk rock. Yeah. Yeah. Then it became alternative rock. Yeah. And then not so much the grunge. There's a little influence. But now we call it we label it all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Americana. Americana indie. Yeah, indie. It's all the same thing. The sound is just, it's an evolution of everything. For sure. And do, you, do you listen to Wilco, the band oh, Wilco? Yeah. I try to explain Wilco to a lot of people. It's one of my favorite bands. And uh, a lot of people in our, I guess, in the Texas country genre don't even know who Wilco is. They, and they listen to him and they're like, oh, it's similar to Texas country. It's like, yeah, but it's not anything close to it. But it's not. <laughs> it's nowhere near it. No. But it's so funny that you can listen to a band like Wilco and, and it resembles Texas country in quotations, you know. And it's it's a feel. Yeah. It's a feel. And it's it's because you take all the different influences, and it's not just musical influence. It's life influences. Yeah, it's life experience experience and that's what it comes out it's just it's a it's a rhythm it's a feel it's the loose pocket like the stones but it's a tight pocket like the ace in the hole band yeah it just depends on where you're at mm-hmm. you can have some three-quarter time some waltzes and things like that but at the same time you're gonna have some hard driving stuff there old 97s is another one for sure old 97s they and they fall in that they same fall, category it's all in that same vein and, and i mm-hmm. think americana probably is the new term that everybody's using that it's the umbrella that everything fits under yeah because it's very songwriter driven it's very fluid yeah I, i'm trying to make sure i'm using my words correctly here fluid in the way that the transition from song to song you can understand that there's a commonality but it's not the same sure it's hard to explain. I don't. I, I listened to a podcast the other day with uh, um, it's Robert Earl Keen. I think it's called the Americana Podcast. Yeah, and uh, he was talking with Lori McKenna, and they were talking about uh, Amer- the Americana genre and how just vast and broad that it is. And you can listen to you know, here's this band on one end of the spectrum that's very singer songwriter acoustic-y, and then you've got like you know Bingham that can he does kind of both. You know, he's got. You know, a song like uh, Guess Who's Knocking, you know, and then he's got his real slow, like uh, the... Hallelujah. Yeah, exactly, like Hallelujah. Um, but I think that's what's cool about the Americana genre is that it's so just vast and, and you can... Uh, it's all about life experience, you know. You've got times where they're really slow and life's good and you're coasting by, and you've got times that are really hectic and, and stressful and... I don't know. That's uh, I don't know. It's kind of the way I perceive it. It's just like it's it's just like life, man. Every you don't ever know what's going to be thrown at you, but uh, no. just take it with a grain of salt. And that's how it is. Yeah. Um. So I think your most recent single that's uh, just came out on Spotify. Did you do that last month? Uh, just Wildcat. a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think. Wildcats. Yeah. yeah. Kind of got that feel to it. Yeah, for sure. Where'd that? Uh, tell me about that. The uh, where'd that come from? So that song's been. Uh, been in the making something I never did in my younger days of songwriting was like kind of set and, and dwell on a song and, and dwell on the idea 
you know, I just wrote the song and usually it was like a two or three day deal tops and it was done. And, um, a couple of the newer songs, um, Kyle's song took me like better part of a year, year and a half to write. And that was just cause it was a song that really meant a whole lot to me. And uh, I wanted the words to be perfect everywhere. Right. I wanted to be perfect. And Wildcat's the same way. It means a lot to me. And I just wanted it to be perfect. And it was also, it was like, I was at a loss for words a lot of times with that song. Okay. Cause it's a song about, um, mainly about your past, just kind of haunting you and not being able to escape it. Um, and that's kind of usually that that's kind of hard to that's a hard pill to swallow you know for a lot of people yeah so i wanted all the words to be great and not you know it doesn't talk about exact experiences but i was going off of experiences from my life and thinking about others a lot of my songs are you know thinking about other other people what they could have gone through or or you know experiences that i've heard other people go through and uh just trying to trying to uh live those in my head and write about them and make it to where it's relatable and and people can you know feel it and and be able to relate with it and it means something to them too it means just as much to them as it does me so that song took a while to write because of that i'm like i haven't i've had a great life you know i've had a a fairly easy life compared to a lot of people i'm very fortunate and blessed for that um so i tried to you know put myself in uh in situation of others and and um kind of kind of play a role, you know, of, of somebody that's hasn't had an easy life, you know, it's gone through a lot of hard experiences. Um, so that's why that song took so long for me to write. And, uh, I think it turned out great. It, it turned out the exact way I wanted it to. Um, that sounds and, wonderful. I love it. Hopefully people can relate to it and it helps, you know, if it helps one person through a hard time, that's what it was meant to do. And I've done my job, you know, I was just, uh, I mean, there's a lot of depth to it. I really enjoy the song and we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but I can't help but wonder, were you treated by a bobcat when he came up with the idea? <laughs> no. Okay. I don't know what, I don't know where, uh, I'm trying to think if, if, uh, the wildcats term, uh, the wild wildcats analogy, if it came from anywhere specific, I don't think it did. I just thought, you know, wildcats such a, whether it's a mountain lion, a bobcat, a, a cougar, whatever, uh, yeah. leopard, whatever, they're so mysterious and like just a very in the shadows animal. Mm-hmm. You know, I hunt all over the state of Texas, and there's mountain lions all over the state Everywhere. of Texas. And I've seen out of all the days that I've spent in the outdoors with a pair of binoculars, I've seen three lions, and they were it was all on the same day. And it was a group. It was a it was a female and two cubs. And so I mean, they were they were all together, and that's the only ones I've ever seen in the wild seen a couple on trail cameras uh but that's it and i'm i don't know i guess that analogy just kind of came naturally it's like something that it's always there and it's always going to be there and it surfaces every once in a while but um it's just kind of in the shadows you know it's always always lurking um just kind of like a lot of people's past you know they may not may not think about it a lot but when they do it's um i don't know it's just a wildcat it's just kind of there all the time you ever heard one scream at night i have pretty eerie That'll mess with you yeah, like nothing else. For sure. I can remember twice, ever, two times in my life. Never yeah. seen one. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time. You know, I grew up a lot of, uh, in East Texas. Yeah. Uh, we were fishing on the Trinity um, about halfway between uh, Trinidad and like Cayuga area. Okay. And we went to this ranch down there and we were on this ranch in high school. Man, I guarantee you every weekend for three years. Yeah, and we would go fish low banks because it was it was about a twenty seven hundred acre ranch, uh, very secluded because all the, it was a bunch of ranch land around it, and so we were on the low bank, uh, fishing for alligator gar, and probably six of us down there, all big guys, you know, 
were tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We did. You have never seen six grown men <laughs> come together in a tight group with safeties <laughs> off that fast in your life. <laughs> All scared to death, huh? I mean, it sounded like a woman getting murdered. For sure. And I was like, Mm-mm, nope, yeah. I want nothing to do with you. Pretty crazy sound. Because I can't see you. Yeah. And this was, this was late 90s, so we just had little, the snake lights. Yeah. You know, they shine from here to that wall. Yeah. That's about it. You didn't have a lot of flashlight. And then um, I heard one in DeLeon, oh, probably 15 years ago, in daytime. Not near as loud, but it was still, it was eerie enough that yeah. we, we went down and we were checking out. It was with a friend of mine and his dad on their lease. We were just out checking out, you know, where do they want to set up everything. And then heard one and then we went back to the cars and we saw tracks. <laughs> and I was like, that asshole was tracking us. <laughs> we know exactly what we heard now. Oh, it's scary. Yeah, man. Yep. So how do you feel about playing it? Sounds good to me. Right, let's see. <laughs> Doing everything it takes, keeping you. 
Man, thank you. That is such a fun song. I say fun because subject matter obviously isn't a fun subject matter. Sure, yeah. But the arrangement on that is, <clears throat> you get something there, man. That's pretty unique. I thank dig you. It. Thank you. It's, um, that's what I wanted it to be. Uh, I wanted it to not be like anything else we had done, you know? And we recorded it. Um, so the, the story on that song is kind of cool. Of the recording process, so a, a guy reached out to me that's um, going through uh, uh, engineering school in LA, and he said, "Hey, I love your music. Um, I would my my kind of the end of schooling project is to put a record together, um, and that's going to be that's what was like his final, you know, his final grade or whatever in the schooling, right? And uh, he's like, I'd love to record a song with you, fly you out to LA." And uh, you can record, you know, it's, it's all going to be free of charge. We've got the studio. We've got all the players. You just, you know, play your, your tracks, and then we're going to build on to it. You give us your idea with the song. And I'm like, that's fine. Um, so I kind of pondered the idea, and I told him, I was like, there's a good chance I won't be able to make it to L.A. I'm just really busy. You know, I've got, with my hunting, with the outfit, it takes up a lot of our time. Um, it's like it's hard to get away for, you know, three or four days. Um, especially when you're already having like a you know summer vacation planned and stuff like that. Just my schedule's always planned six months ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. If, if not further. Um so anyways, he's like, That's fine. I said, Well, we got down to the you know, like a month before I was supposed to go and I said, Listen, I'm not gonna be able to make it, but would you be willing to fly, you know, to Texas and come to a, a studio that, you know, is closer to home for me and um, you know, we can use uh, you know, obviously all their gear and everything and then you just you do your your thing there and I'll record my tracks he's like yeah that's fine so we uh actually ended up renting a uh, basement of a wedding venue um that was really cool like uh just really rustic kind of destructive um deconstructed vibe i guess yeah a uh, really cool place cool place to record and had a really good natural reverb to it and uh ace creighton from the thieving birds is he's he did uh let's see ace has done our past couple of projects um he did the last record. How did I get here? And then, no, not how did I get here? Everything Long. has changed. Okay. Uh, he did that project with us, and then he's done a couple of singles with me. And um, so anyways, Ace brought all of his gear down, and we set up just a remote studio in the basement. And then uh, a guy from L.A. and his buddy that's working on the project with him came in, and we just set up and recorded. And I did some other songs um, as well just to kind of make it you know worth my while we already got everything set up. Might as well work on a few songs. So, uh, so I tracked, did all my tracking there, and then he took it back to LA, put some studio players on it, and then it ended up coming back to me. Um, and then we took it to East Texas to uh, Chad Malden, and uh, he finished it up. And Ryan went in and did some guitar parts. Uh, the rest of the guys in my band, Aaron and Ricky, went in and did a few parts. Right. And so there was a lot of people involved with it, and then we put it out. You know, so it was cool that that uh, song's been passed around pretty heavily yeah, just kind of bounced all around it yeah. sounds like yeah and it was something new we've never done that with a song i've never had studio players play on one of my songs um and i've also never not been there um for the entire process of of a song that I've yeah written. the creative the yeah, creative part I, of it. i've never been i've never not been there for it so that was interesting too you know i, I obviously had a you know a, a page of notes that's things i wanted to hear and things i didn't want to hear and you know parts and and pauses and all that um, so it was cool. It got back to me the first time and it's like, you know, all right, let's do some revisions on it. And then, uh, you know, your second take of it. And then it came to Texas and we, we, uh, 
firmed it up here in Texas, and then it, it, we uh, released it. So Chab is the last one to work on it. He did all the mixing and mastering, and then we put that one out. But, yeah, it turned out really cool. And it was a cool um, – I think that's the perfect song for the, for the journey that it took um, yeah, because but- it was something so different. And it's got a different sound to it. Uh, it's pretty dark. I wanted it to be really dark because, you know, it's, the song's about, you know, somebody's dark past and kind of how it always just comes around and, and haunts them. So, anyways, it turned out really cool. I'm proud of it. Yeah, man. Uh, and interesting enough, you know, you say that about it just kind of bouncing all over the place. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of people who have done a lot of experimenting with the way they've recorded, especially during the 2020 2021 time sure. frame, what yep. we're in the, the pandemic yep. you'd like to, as we like to call it, I don't really have a good name for it. Cause it, 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 uh, pumped the brakes on a lot of people, man. It did. Uh, did it affect your outdoor business at all? Oddly enough, it didn't. Um, we're very fortunate that it didn't. Um, and I think the reason why is cause people, uh, the one thing people had to hold on to was getting outdoors and yes. being, being away from others. You know, if they're coming into one of our hunting camps, it's usually me and one other guide, um, it's either my partner or, or our other full-time guy that we have. So it's, they're not around a big crowd, you know, they have to worry about where they came from if they were exposed, you know, in those right. areas, not being exposed to us. Um, so no, it didn't when we were fortunate, you know, if anything, our business was, it, it spiked, up. um, which is really cool. But, um, no, I don't know. I, I got, we didn't get near as many, uh, we didn't feel the repercussions like a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it sucks for a lot of people's business because people got fired and laid off and business, you know, people went bankrupt and it's, it's a shame. I hate it. But, um, and we're over there, you know, thriving, kind of thriving, you know, in, in the midst of it. And, um, but I guess that's just the gamble because there's a lot of things that can crash and, and our business really goes to shit. Um, but I guess this wasn't one of them for now. Ah, It's, it's strange. I, I think I look over the past, say, 15 years. I think there's been a disconnect from general society yeah. with the outdoors. Yeah. Nature of, of progression, I guess. You look at technological advances and everything. You don't have to go outside to do a lot of things you you had to yeah. previously. Um, and, and it's it's regionalism, I guess, to an extent. Um, people in Texas always seem to go out to dinner a lot more than other places. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe it's the busy lifestyle. For us, it was a carryover from the kids playing sports. Yeah. We were on the road every day of the week, so when the kids were still in school, we would always go out to eat, and so that kind of carried over for us. Yeah. Luckily for us, here in Godly, there is a lake within a stone's throw in sure. any direction. We've got four really nice lakes around us, and then – a lot of parks. So my wife and I got to where we were going and picnicking a lot. So was everybody else. And so those parks that we were going to in those secluded areas became not so secluded, not anymore. so secluded <laughs> and overrun, but it was kind of cool yeah. to see people get out. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a very small, well, I was born in Cleveland, moved to East Texas and grew up in a very small t- town. So we went outdoors every chance we got. Yeah. We were in the woods hunting. We were at somebody's land camping. Every that was every weekend that we did that. And as I got older, kind of got away from that feel of doing that. Wouldn't go see my buddies out in Winsboro that often. You know, we used to go out there and camp once, twice a year. Sure. And it was just kind of it was kind of cool to see people reconnect with the outdoors. Yeah. I think as a society, we we've become so landlocked in the sense that we have to be indoors all the time. Technology's kind of roped us into that. Oh yeah. 
And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that your business is thriving and you're able to take people out. And I also love the fact that you tell me you're doing it traditional. You're not, you're not doing it. I'm, somebody's going to hate on me for this. To me, hunting is not a stand in a 100 by 100 pin over a feeder. No, not you're not hunting. No, there's you're th- shooting. That's, that's uh, what we call instant gratification. And that's where it, my whole reason for, uh, for you know starting my own outfit was seeing guys do that and it's like man that that's not hunting that's not why that's not why i fell in love with hunting if that would have been my first hunting experience i'd have been like oh this is easy i don't want to do it anymore there's no challenge to it you know there's no exactly. sport to it the whole reason why you should ever fall in love with hunting is for the challenge it's the chase you know it's like it's seeking after that one animal and i like to pick out one specific buck or ram or bull or whatever and go after that one you know, that's, that's really cool to me. You're that's not fun. settling. Yeah, exactly. Not settling. It's like, it's either him or nothing, you know? And, uh, and that's the people that we appeal to. That's the hunters we appeal to as well. Guys that want to, you know, if they're not cool with possibly leaving empty handed, uh, because we just didn't have that perfect opportunity, then maybe you shouldn't come out with us. That's long and short of it. It's like, that's fine. Good. Yeah. Good exactly. for you. Go with somebody else. There's plenty of other guys. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, it's the camaraderie, it's the experience, it's the, it's like, man, we were on an awesome stock and we were a hundred yards away from that deer, but he just wouldn't give us the perfect shot, you know, or, or whatever the situation is. It's like, I want you to leave with a with a pile of memories, not just that one. Oh man, did you see him hit the ground? You know, it's not just there. the mount. It's not just the hitting the ground. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. I want you to look at that mount ten years from now and think about all the miles we walked for that buck, um, and think about all the stories and all the you know trials and tribulations you went through to get to there. Uh, to be able to get that buck killed. So, anyways, that's a whole other podcast. We could talk about that oh, forever. Yeah, yeah. But that's the main reason why I started, uh, you know, my own outfit with with uh, the friend of mine, just because we both saw we both worked for other outfits for years and saw how many guys wanted that just instant gratification. They want to pull through the gate, shoot something in an hour, and turn around and leave. And it's like, what's the point, man? You're getting away from your big city, your your DFW area, Houston, San Antonio area, Austin. You're trying to get out of the city and, and get back just as quick as you got out. Yeah, no. no Not what's, me. What's the point? Not me. Yeah. I would much rather, you know, most of our hunts start on like a Thursday and end on a Sunday morning. Yes. I would much rather be hunting Sunday morning than you be done Thursday afternoon and, you know, t- turn around and go home two days early. Especially if it's somebody cool that you enjoy hanging out with, you know. Um, we get a lot of guys that we don't even know, you know, first-time guys that are hunting with us, and I like to hear their story and, and uh, you know, hear what's going on in their life. And you can make lifelong friends um, in that industry, you know, just because it's like, you know, say, you know, you and I didn't know each other and you show up for a hunt and we get to talking about, you know, say we both had the same past that we do, you talk about, you know, uh, your, you know, all your experiences in music industry. And I talk about mine, we've got something that connects us. Common there. threads. Yeah. We've got, we've got common interests and we're also on a hunt together. So we also have common interest in the yes. outdoors and all that too. So anyways, it's a really cool aspect of the, of the outfitting industry. And it's, it's something that's probably the, the, I enjoy that most more than anything. It's just getting to know people. Absolutely. How many people have you had that, that was their first time hunting? Um, over the years, I mean, this is my eighth season on, uh, you know, in outfitting and, and I don't know, probably close to 50 over really? those, those seven, that years. many that have never yeah. hunted before. Yeah. And a lot of it's like, you know, a friend that I've hunted with before, 
bringing their buddy out for his first time, you know. Nice. Um, or kids. Used to hunt with a lot of kids. I worked oh. for an outfit that did uh, – it was a, a Christian organization that took a lot of kids hunting. And that was really cool and a humbling experience. And a lot of those kids had I'll never imagine it. had never done anything. So you teach them how to shoot a gun first or a bow or a shotgun, whatever, and then you go hunting. And, uh, dude, to see a kid's face light up. Oh, I'm sure that is – that's yeah. that's soul-fulfilling yeah, right there. For sure. It is. That was right after I, I uh, kind of got off the road and quit playing music, and so that was that was something I needed in that time. You know, I was like, man, there's a there's a void there, and uh, that's what filled the void. And it was it was great. That was a good time. Let's let's kind of back up there. I think you uh, you segued that pretty well. Yeah. Um. And you guys you guys burned the road up for many years nonstop. Yeah, we did for four years straight. Um. I mean, playing two hundred and fifty shows a year. Uh, that was the goal though. You know, it's like road dog, road warrior, let's do this. And that's the only way we're going to get, get the word out. And then people are going to hear our songs if we're playing, you know, Tuesday through Saturday, every, every week. And, um, could have, you know, could have been a lot of the reason why we kind of got, or I kind of got burnt out on it. Uh, it was definitely some of the reason why, but it's also, it built a, uh, an extremely loyal fan base because we met. I mean, we probably played in front of, I don't know, 70, 80% of the people that still listen to our music, we probably played in front of them those four years at some point I would time. agree with that. And they stuck with us, and they're always going to be there, and they're going to you know enjoy everything we put out. And uh, that's really cool. And I, I told you I was listening to Will's podcast that he did with you, and he was talking about you know how he's kind of in the position where people are always wanting to hear, like, what's next? What's Is he going to do something different or something new? And um, I feel like we're in that position, too, like with Wildcats. It was something – it was a new sound. It was a different sound, and people loved it. You know, people ate it up, and that's great. And I don't – he was also talking about, you know, guys like Guy Clark. It's like, you want to hear – you want to hear Guy Clark. You don't want to hear new Guy Clark. You want to hear Guy Clark. You want to hear Chris Knight. You don't want to hear – you don't want to see them experiment. You know, you just want to hear the bread and butter. Right. Um, but that's a good – you know, I'm always going to try to put out sad songs. That's kind of what I'm known for. I'm always going to try to put out sad songs. But – Sad also, songs make me happy. Exactly. The new thing for me is trying to put out kind of love songs because I'm, you know, married now. Life's a lot different. I'm trying to put out some more of those happier songs, and it's been hard for me. I tell my wife all the time, like, dude, it's hard to write a happy song, even though I am happy. It's still hard to write a happy song. So, it. I've said this before, and I'm sure I stole this from somebody. This this nugget of wisdom is not something I'm smart enough to come <laughs> up with. It's hard to write songs when you're happy. Yeah, it is. Because you're I'm not going to say you're complacent, but it's hard to write something that moves you when you're not experiencing trouble. Yeah, for sure. Uh, some people would probably disagree, but we have the I'm same sure we right. have the same mindset on that you and I do. It's like you listen to my playlist and I have my playlist is on our our Spotify page. You can click on my playlist and listen to all the songs I listen to every day. That's Colton Moore and the Clever Few on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, plug, plugging plug, it. Nice plug. Um, but 95% of those songs are sad. You know, they're, but that's just what I listen to. And a lot of times my wife will be like, play something fast, play some Billie Eilish, which I jammed to Billie Eilish. She's pretty legit, but pretty solid. Yeah. Um, but most of my stuff is, you know, singer songwriter, really sl- sad, slow stuff. And that's what I, I get a lot of good thinking done listening to that music. Um, it's reflective. Yeah. I, you know, get my feels. I can, there's a lot of things you can do, um, when that kind of music's playing in the background. So that's what I enjoy. And that's what I enjoy writing and singing most. 
Um, that's why the new, um, the new, uh, you know, happier love songs that I'm writing these days are they're harder for me to to accomplish. I feel like uh, maybe that maybe I can accomplish them just as good as a a sad song, but uh, I feel like personally, it's like man, this it's harder for me to get my point across writing about something that's you know happy. Um, yeah, uh, I've wrote um, I've had one happy song recorded that I've co-wrote before. Yeah. Um, Austin and I, Austin Up Church and I did Honey, and it's it's a very upbeat, lovey-dovey song, yeah. and I think it's a little cheesy. Wrote it about my wife. Exactly. And uh, I mean, I love everything about it, but at the same time, my problem with happy songs is is that cheese factor. Oh, I always yeah. feel like, oh, that's that's cheesy. You know, for me, it's like, well, I can say a hundred things about murder. Yeah. Or, or death or, you know, sorrow, I can take it in different directions. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about love, you're always like, Oh, do I really want to say this? Yep. It's so talking about uh love is just so direct. It's like there's only a few ways to put it. There is. You just gotta say it. You gotta come out there and say it. Yeah. yeah. And it's so hard to uh to come up with an analogy, I feel like, about love. You know, you can only say you know, her eyes are as green as the Emerald Sea or whatever so many different times. You know, you can always say that in so many different ways until it's uh, extremely cheesy. But, yeah, you're right. No, the cheese factor is a real thing in a, in a happy love song. You say that, sir, but one of the first songs I ever heard from you was kind of a love song. Oh, yeah. Mine sure all mine. I'm sure it was. <laughs> yep, 17-year-old love song. 17 years old when I wrote that song. But I think people ask me about that all the time because, like you said, that's and it's probably one of our most listened to songs. It is your most streamed songs. Al- always will be. And uh, I don't know why, I guess. But it's the naive, set, that that just like um, innocence of of love, I guess is what it is. And that to me, that song is cheesy. But you listen to it, and I think about where I was at that place, and I'm like, but it's real. You know, it's exactly what I was feeling at the time. Okay. Because um, I was about to disagree with you. I was going to say, that's not a cheesy song because well, you captured that moment yeah. of innocence yeah. and young to a T. Good. When I heard that, the first time I heard that song, I knew exactly where you were at in life. Yep. I knew it. Yep. Like, just like that. I knew exactly where you were. Evidently, some other people have too. So that's good. That's That was the goal, you know. 38 million other people, sorry. <laughs> at, at that time, actually, that wasn't the goal. And maybe that's why it was... Uh, easier perceived so well by so many people because there was no goal in mind. It was just, you wrote, that's it. what came out. You know, the words came out of my mouth and fell onto the paper and, and that's how it happened. And yeah, that song has been great for us. It's awesome. I'm grateful for it. Before I ask you to play it, cause I'm going to, cause that's just how I am. Yeah. And I know it's, we were going to talk new stuff, but I'm throw it back a little bit. Yeah. I get, I think, I don't know. We messaged something. Maybe you told me you were playing in Stephenville at Twisted J. We'd been talking back and forth about something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that was your first show back after a while. Oh, yeah. The one where, yeah, yeah, you came out and we chatted before. We chatted before the show. Yep. And your first, just, I'm going to say your first note, you had, I don't know how many people that building holds, but it was packed. Yeah. Singing along. And I just remember particularly mine on mine and dear mom hearing that entire crowd of people that shouldn't have known every, and I'm not saying this insulting. They shouldn't have known every word, every one of your songs, because you're talking about 
college age kids that would have been in middle school yeah, or that song freshman in high school when that song came out. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have known that song. And yeah. they all knew every damn. How good did that feel to know that after you'd been off the road for that long, that you still had the loyal fan base going, gimme. Yeah. It's surreal. Um, I'd never, up until that that night, I'd never had that. None of our shows. Because, I mean, on that those four years of grinding, you go to a show and say, luckily, 100 people show up. Maybe, maybe 15, 20 of those people actually know your songs. And, you know, they weren't screaming every word. They were sitting in the back just listening, you know, just soaking it in. So, yeah, that was the first time. And I didn't know, you know, it was just a blur. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know that many people would show up. I uh, for sure didn't know that many people would show up and sing every single word to every song I played that night. And, um, yeah, it was a really cool feeling. It was uh, That was the night that I was like, why am I not, you know, why am I not? Because I had not touched a guitar up until about two months before that show. I didn't even touch a guitar, didn't open my case, didn't even look at it, didn't write a song, didn't have a thought of writing a song. I don't know why I went that long. I guess I was, I don't know. Um, just wasn't the right time. Yeah, it was just like, like I said, I just needed to kind of a reset, and uh, it was good because if, if I would have kept going, you know, wouldn't definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today. Um, but yeah, that night was perfect. That was like, all right, the the four year, four and a half years off was exactly what I needed. And now let's get back after it and let's let's give some more attention to the music side of my life. Do it a little smarter approach this time. Yeah, not, for not, sure. not just going full bore. Yeah, balls to the wall. Balls to the wall, go running play, in the red the entire time. Yeah, go play, you know, Tuesday through Saturday and oh, run ourselves ragged. It just sounds awful. Couldn't even sing by Friday night. It's like Tuesday, Wednesday, we're really good. And then Thursday, it was like pretty rough. You probably got way too drunk. Friday, toast. Saturday was a wash. Saturday so, was a wash, yeah. yeah. Man, you think you could play that for me? Yeah, for sure. Mine on mine. This is off of the very first EP. Yeah. Love Me Instead. Love Me Instead. I was trying to think of it because I know it was over the grass and there was like a picnic basket and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's interesting. We'll knock the dust off this one. It might be a little rusty. I'm going to play it the original way too because I re-recorded the song and did it a little bit different. Which You're, You're revisited, yeah. Yeah, I liked it better. Most people probably prefer to hear the OG version. Your sad and dressing, your long hair. You were crazy as hell and didn't even care. You were on a midnight train to Birmingham. You had a one track mind, it was just like mine. We were both. Set on the world, believing that we're far behind. Ooh, we're far behind. And I had my guitar in a bag, you had your makeup and hair, and it was awfully strange when we got there. Cause we both ended up, we didn't wanna go.
love you so where to now i said let's find a place where we can lay our heads down and you said that sounds mighty fine I love that song. You boys. Can I just tell you, I've been noodling around writing music for a few years and I still don't feel like I've wrote anything that anywhere close to that level. And you did that at 17. Yeah. I hate you, sir. <laughs> I don't, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I know that was uh, I hate you, but I love you. I hate you, but I love you. That was such a good one, man. Thank you. You know what? I think there is some truth in what you said. Because you had zero, you had zero limit. I say, I want to say limitations is the wrong word. You had zero expectations. Yeah. So it just came out. And nothing to lose. I mean, it's just like. It is what it is. Yeah. Just completely naive to the whole, uh, the whole songwriting thing in general. I mean, it was a little desk in my, in my room, my parents' house in Millsap, Texas, a couple yellow notepads and, um, uh, yeah, sky was the limit, but. The sky wasn't super tall, so, we're so just. I'm going to make an analogy here. I'm going to compare you to somebody, and I'm not. Not this is an inflating ego. Not saying sure one or the other. You wrote that at 17. Yep. My favorite Jackson Brown song. He wrote at 18, which was these days. Yeah, I hate both of you for that fact. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to say that that's the best that you're ever going to do because I'm not saying that. Yeah. But it baffles me. I've been a writer. I, I studied English in college. I wrote through high school and everything. But it baffles me to know that I'm going to say something that's as genius as, as that song from you was able to come out of innocence. And maybe that's that's it. Maybe just like you said, the ceiling was so low that the, the, the innocent factor was you didn't have qualms about, I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to yeah. phrase that. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the trick to it. And we're all just out here fumbling through life thinking we've got to do it a certain way when in reality we don't dude that's yeah i, I that's you're on to something for sure um i look at a lot of my you know rewind five six seven years ago and a lot of the guys that i really loved um and i thought were the best songwriters ever i was just talking to my wife about this uh yesterday or day before and i've seen those guys you know um you know, start doing these rites and, and meeting up and, you know, they go to Nashville or wherever and, you know, meet up with a group of couple guys and sit in a cubicle and try to write a song. You know, they sit down with a goal and the goal is to write a good song. 
I think that's the first mistake. Um, I've never, I've tried to, I've sat down and been like, all right, I'm going to write a song. I've never been successful at it. And I don't, I mean, I've written songs, but I don't, they got, you know, went, they went to file 13, they got thrown in the right. trash. Cause I just didn't think they were, they were worth a damn. But um, I think that that's not, and I'm not saying that a good song can't come from a, a good co-write, you know, getting together, but um, that's, there's nothing organic about that to me. More know, often like, than not, it probably doesn't come from that space. No, definitely not. And um, I think that song is a, a testament to that. It's just like no strings attached. You've got nothing to lose. Sat down, write about what you're feeling, and let, just let it come out. You know, let it come out naturally. And um, I don't know. That kind of sounds cheesy, but not that's what songwriting is. It's a. It's all about a, you know an experience or a, you know something you've gone through, and just write about it and be honest. You know, honesty is the. I think like the the golden key to songwriting is like just be honest about whatever it is, whatever you're writing about. Just be honest about it. Songwriting for you a passion or an obsession? Um, hmm. maybe a little bit of both. I mean, it's definitely a passion, and I've since I've come back and started putting stuff out, and uh, you know, over the past like three or four years, it's really become a passion. I'm, I want to get better at it. I want to um, be able to write about other things besides, you know, sad things that have happened in my life or friends' lives. Um, so that's right. something that I've worked on. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a passion and it's definitely, definitely something that I'm, um, I don't know. I wouldn't call it, I'm not obsessed with it. If I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with hunting. I think about it every single day, something about hunting. That's just, I don't know. It was my first love. That's the first thing I fell in love with. Right. Five years old, shot my first year. And I was just like, I probably didn't think this exact thought at the time, but, um, something to the effect of, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. This is me. Like, this is part of me. It's my DNA. This is, I don't know. It's just, it's what it I was, was in the same vein. I, yeah. I just it was what I was created to do. Um, and I feel like to some extent songwriting, you know, God gave me the gift of songwriting and to be able to touch people, um, you know, with, with songs that I write. And so, yeah, it's definitely a passion and somewhat of an obsession, but I, when I obsess over something, it's like, that's all I think about. So I don't wake up every single day thinking about songwriting. I don't know. I'm saying that. And then I'm thinking about my day-to-day life. And I wake up a lot of times like a melody in my head, uh, pretty much every single day, or I'm singing a random song. Most of the time, not my song. Um, my wife's always like, where does, where do you come up with this stuff? Where do you, why are you singing that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just woke up thinking about it so yeah maybe it is a passion and an obsession i yes. just kind of woke up holding it sorry yes. i just had a i just yes had a yes. what movie is that sling blade I just sling blade a, i just had a sling blade i just kind of woke up holding it i just kind of woke up holding it. that hammer scene yeah. i don't know that is not is that not one of the best movies ever <laughs> yeah, it's i a fucking love that movie <laughs> you just said that and i just i could picture him that's what i'm gonna start telling her every time i just kind of woke up holding it i just kind of woke up holding it <laughs> i can quote the hell out of that movie nonstop. Yeah. it's yeah. it's do you do that to your wife? Do you quote movies to her? Oh yeah, What's School it? School of Rock. That's School my Rock. number one. That that to me that movie has the most like golden one liners in it of any movie. It's ever pretty created. good. Yeah, it's a good one. I do a lot of Anchorman. Oh, Anchorman. That's hers. She's always quoting Anchorman. Um, and Tombstone. Tombstone. Yeah, it's a classic. Of I've course. got I've got one line that I say, and my and my wife 
over the last 13 years as the greatest comeback for it. And I'm like, damn it, it's like playing cards with my brother's kids, which are nerve-wracking sons of bitches. She goes, you don't have any brothers. That's her answer every time. And I'm like, ah, yeah. shut up. It's just a quote. Come just on. a quote. Play along. Play along. She's, she's, um, she's very much not the movie-quoting person. Yeah. Um, and like the one-liner zinnia. Um, we sat down to watch TV the other night, and I've been on a um, – a, a true crime yeah. kick for a while yeah. watching a lot of like true crime shows, not just like the, uh, the first 48 murder ones, but just like uh, the innocent man project and watching those kind of things. And she's like, we need to watch something that's not, that's not horrible, sad life is over. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, all right, I get you. I get you. So I put on, I, I, all right, let me find a movie that I know she's going to be cool with watching. Yeah. I put on hope floats. There you go. Three minutes into the movie. She is word for word. The entire film. Quoting the whole thing. The whole damn <laughs> thing. And I'm like, touche. Yeah. You got me there. Yeah. She's like finishing their sentences and, oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. Yeah. That was perfectly fine because that's that's a good one. That I, I let her have that yeah, one. Yeah, let her have her moment. Let her have her moment. That's a good film. It is. You know the entire thing was filmed in Texas? The entire thing. No, I didn't know that. Filmed in Smithville just outside of Austin. Really? So they talk about it being Smithville yeah. and it's actually filmed in Smithville, the house, the school. And the only thing that wasn't filmed in Smithville was the, like the, the bar dance scene yeah. that was filmed. LaGrange ish. Huh. That area. Very cool. Columbus. And that area. I have to watch it and see if I, because I've driven through there many a times. I'll have to watch it and see if I recognize anything. Now. Yeah. Um, that's one of those movies I remember seeing many, many years ago and like, thinking, okay, that kind of looks like Texas. Yeah. And then I looked up the facts on it the other night and it was 100% Austin film commission, like everything. That's awesome. Their uh, second team was all Austin people. Um, that's pretty interesting. It is. When you get to see that. Yeah. You ever noticed, cool. you ever notice places like in movies when you drive by them and you're like, Oh wow. Oh yeah. And I start thinking about, I didn't realize how many movies have been filmed in Texas yeah. until I really think about it. You ever seen the movie Bottle Rockets? I haven't. I don't think I have. It's kind of an underground movie. It was um, Wilson, Luke and Owen Wilson. Okay. Uh, long, long time ago. Yeah. Early movie. Uh, one of their first ones. And it's, there's a couple big names in it. And I can't think off the top of my head who's in it. But it was filmed Hillsborough area. Okay. And... It's another one of those. I'm like, oh, I've been to that fireworks stand. I've I know where that hotel is. You know, <laughs> you recognize it all. Huh? I, I was like, I know where that beat up building. Like, I know that. That's super cool. It's weird when yeah. that happens. Yeah. Uh, on the spectrum of that, we were watching. Rewind a couple days before when I was watching it. I was watching one about missing hunters. Okay. It's called Missing Four One One. You might actually find this one interesting. It's a little weird out there. It's like a series. I think it's, it was on Prime or something like that. Yeah. And it's about certain locations in the United States where hunters, experienced hunters and outdoorsmen have gone missing. Mm. And it's like uh, <clears throat> Sedona area. You know, so they pull up and they're like in the Santa Fe, New Mexico area. And they start doing, um, sewing all these different landscape shots. And I'm like, our niece is over here and she's watching with me. And I'm like, I pause it. She goes, what are you doing? And I was like, flipping through the phone. I was like, Boom, the exact same photograph yeah. from the exact same hiking, hiking trail really? that Summer and I were on three years ago just outside in the Carson National Forest. Yeah. I'm like, that's the exact same shot where they're saying this guy was the last thing he pictured. No, I was there no. where he was at. <laughs> and I'm like, 
and I'm not exactly the greatest outdoorsman. And we're out because we did one of those crazy like vertical hikes. Yeah. My wife went about killed me over that one because it was one of the ones you got to sign in, sign out kind yep. of ones. Yep. And I got the exact same shot. And I was like, uh, oh, no. I don't know. We just got so off track on that. <laughs> you, you made it out alive, though. I made it out alive. Um, what's probably the craziest place you've ever been hunting? I know you do most of your hunting in Texas, but what would you say the craziest location is? Um, I've been in New Zealand and hunted in New Zealand a couple of years ago. I mean, that was like destination type hunt. That's <sighs> you can't get any better. The country, the people, the animals, everything is a plus. The people are phenomenal in New Zealand. Oh. They're you would think. I mean, you would think it's just a bunch of Texas guys. You know, they're just they're That's very heard. very accommodating. Um, I mean, they just want you to be comfortable and and feel like you're at home. Um, at least the people we were with. You know, the the outfit that we went with and. Um, so yeah, that place was super cool, but my favorite place to hunt, you know, like, uh, really rough country as far Southwest Texas, we've hunted, you know, some desert bighorn in some of the most, in the most beautiful places that Texas has to offer. Um, I could show you pictures and you'd, you know, nine out of 10 guys would be like, that's not in Texas. And it's just wow. super, you know, it's right. around, around the big bend area, uh, yeah. around the big bend national park. And then around Van Horn, just incredibly rugged country, um, beautiful, just breathtaking and then one of the most majestic animals to ever walk the face of the earth the desert bighorn you know oh yeah, yeah calls yeah. that place home and uh there's something cool about that man there's something really cool about that right um kind of off subject but on subject at the same time i'm working on trying to trying to work on a song right now it's probably never going to happen just because it's to me the subject is uh it's like way too cool for me to even write about in in my mind right now. But there's a guy named W. B. Carson that was uh he was when Desert Bighorn were on, you know, recessing in numbers, you know, super quick in Texas. because um, at one time they, you know, they went completely extinct and then they were brought back. There was a big reintroduction in the sixties and they're brought back to, you know, huntable populations now. I feel like I watched a Texas Parks and Wildlife episode over this. Probably so. I mean, there's there's lots of, of films and documentaries over it. Um, anyway, so when they were trying to figure out how – they knew that the numbers were recessing. They were trying to figure out exactly how many sheep there were left. Um, and this is not like something you go, you know, set up a corn feeder and, and look over the corn feeder and when watch whitetail come in like desert bighorn live in the mountains. You've got to go out and look you for them. Go look for them, yeah. Yeah, so uh, they hired – the state hired this guy named W.B. Carson, which was already a, uh, you know, pretty mountain man-ish um, guy to go up in the mountains. A couple His name of, sounds it. Exactly. Uh, I mean, just a legendary name, dude. And uh, so they hired him to go up in the in the couple of these different mountain ranges and uh, take a you know a census of how many sheep were there, and so you know he he took off one mule and two dogs, two hound dogs, and and WB took off into the mountains, and they would go you know he would go stay in the mountains for a month or so, and then come back to Van Horn, and he kind of based out of Van Horn, Texas. You said and a month. Would, yeah, it would go for like a month or a mule, or, or a three, pack mule, or three months at a time. Like sometimes it was a really long time. And built these uh, built these houses in caves, you know, like brick and mortared the cave in with a door and a window. There's pictures of them; they're still there. Oh wow! Yeah, I've hunted on some of the properties that they're on. I've never seen the caves, but anyways, um, long story short, one of these days I'm going to write a song about WB, and Me it's, too. it's uh, it might not be worth a damn, but I kind of think you're the guy myself. for that. <laughs> I kind of feel like you're the yeah. person. Be cool. That's kind of tapped to do this yeah. because. 
you're obviously passionate about his story because the, the knowledge you have of yeah, it. Yeah. Like I said, I remember, I want to say it was an episode of Texas Parks and Wildlife. It wasn't Texas Highway. It was, uh, you know, the one that comes on KERA. Yeah. And um, I, it, they didn't go into that much detail about it. Yeah. But, uh, wow. I mean, I kind of think you need to do that. That'd yeah, be sweet. It'd be sweet to go pack the guitar into to one of those old cave houses and finish that finish that song up in the feel of it where, yeah. he, where he sat one day so a little nostalgic a little nostalgia there man i'm gonna have to do a little bit more digging on this yeah another documentary to go on my list that my wife's gonna hate me for watching documentary <laughs> um that's all good i like to watch random things like that i do too middle of the night yeah i do too uh your previous single that came out was two-way radio yep that was um that was an interesting song and I'm going to tell you why. And you, and, and you may not see any correlation to this at all. Okay. I had watched the movie Frequency again probably a week before I heard that song. That's cool. And it just kind of seen the movie, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just kind of was, I was like, oh, man, I just watched this. For those that you've never seen the movie Frequency, it's a pretty interesting movie about a little out there topic and has to do with the Aurora Borealis Northern Lights and a guy being able to talk to his father yep. who's passed away via a two-way radio. Yep. And then I hear your song a week later, and I'm like, interesting. <laughs> he must have watched the movie, he too. He must have watched the movie, too. That's cool. I dig the hell out of that song. Thank you. So let's talk about a little bit that. Did, yeah. Where'd you record that one at? Uh, so that one was, re- was recorded in that uh, basement that I was talking about. <sighs> Ace, me, me and Ace and, and uh, the guy from L.A., Nathan, um, we were all in the room, and I think I had like a list of five songs. And I, you know, one of them was Wildcats, one of them was Two Way Radio, and then there's a few more that haven't come out yet. Um, but yeah, that was that was really my first attempt. Um, so it was in the exact same vein as the way you did the other one, or it was just kind of bouncing around. Yeah, pr- yeah, but that one stayed with me. It didn't. I didn't. He oh, didn't send that one back to LA. Okay. Um, he just took Wildcats. So that one stayed. Ace mixed and mastered and did all the synth and the piano. And the little bit of percussion that's on there, he did all that. Um, and I just gave him all the ideas that I had, and then I recorded my parts, and he took it back to Fort Worth and did the whole thing. Um, so he had a lot to do with that tune. And, uh, yeah, it was like my first, uh, I say attempt, it was like my, my first love song in a, in a while, I feel like, um, yeah. that I put out. And, uh, of course, about my wife. And uh, actually, I'm just thinking as we're going along, but that, that line – if I had to use a two-way radio just to hear your voice, I would. Some person on Twitter put, uh, what did they say? It wasn't worded like that. Because I thought, man, that is a sweet line. They were like, if I had to use a walkie-talkie to hear your songs, if the only way I had to listen to your songs was through a walkie-talkie, I would, or something like that. And uh, I was like, man, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, first off, thank you. You're like, yeah, you don't have to use a walkie-talkie, but... Um, that's, a cool, that's a cool line. Yeah. Um, that is a cool line. So I took that and just kind of reworded it and made it, uh, made it sound a little bit better. And, uh, wrote that tune with it. And my idea going into that song was like, I'm just going to write a little, just a little ditty. It's just going to be like one verse, one chorus, and that's it. And, um, that's what I did. It's a pretty short song compared to what I usually write. Usually, I mean, I'll write like a four and a half minute song just because I like long songs. I don't, so I you don't, it. you don't fit into that three thirty. No, category. I hate that. I, I no, definitely not. Like three minutes, 30 seconds. Like, dude, I need an, at least another minute out of you. Come on. Um, 
I don't know. They sell themselves short. Three minutes and 30 seconds. I don't care if it goes on radio or not. I don't. I'm sorry. You know, you're radio <sighs> radio guy here across the table. But I'm former. This, former. I'm yeah. a podcast Exactly. Guy. Exactly. Yeah. I don't care if it... I mean, dude, I'll listen. Wilco's got some 10-minute songs. And I love that. Like, I just sat there and dive into it every time I listen to it. Even if it's 10 minutes long, every time I'm like, I'm I'm there. I'm established. I'm... I'm here for the long run, you know. Uh, but that's the kind of listener I am. Like a lot of people's, a lot of people's um, train of thought and and focusing capabilities these days aren't much past three minutes and thirty seconds. They're not because everything's just you know click swipe whatever instant gratification. Ex- man. Exactly. Um, but I, I still like to put out a little bit longer songs. But that one was it wasn't necessarily the length of it. I just wanted to put out a very simplistic love song that got the point across in as almost as few words as possible. Um, so that's what I did. And, you know, I think it turned out cool. I like that song. I like it a lot too. Yeah. It's, play it? it's pretty sweet. Yeah. I dig it. I dig that one.
And if I had to walk a hundred thousand miles with no shoes on, you bet I would. And I'd do it all with a smile, break my back over a while, 'cause I ain't nothing without you. I'd say you're pretty comfortable with this uh, love songwriting, sir. <laughs> I'm trying. That's uh, I'm getting that, there, maybe. That's a good one. Thanks. You talked a lot about spending time on the road, and your band was pretty tight knit. Y'all did 250 shows. How did? And this is a this is going to be the strange question. Yeah. How did you guys find peace and harmony, being brothers locked into the same place at the same time for so long? And for the most part, and that, that question, I need to think about it a little bit because it's just, it feels like it's so long ago. And it, it was, it was a long time ago. Um, but for the most part, everything was good. Like those, those guys were so easy to hang out with. I had, uh, you know, Ryan Wilcox, of course, he's still playing and, and doing his own thing now. Most, you, most people listening probably have heard his songs. And if you haven't, you need to go hear them. Absolutely. Um, I hear that. And then uh, Aaron Daub was our drummer. And then at the time, um, you know, our bass player, uh, you know, he was a guy from kind of back home and I don't know, we all just got, got along real well. It was not, um, there was never too many squabbles. And then if they, if there was a squabble, it was, uh, it was, you know, bitch somebody out or, or whatever and just get over it, uh, get over it and go on with it. Yeah. Life. Which was cool. Cause nobody was dwelling on anything. And I, I feel like that's it, as a band, it's pretty hard to, to accomplish that, to have a group of guys that can just, coexist and and do their own things you know Aaron would always bring his bicycle when we were playing on the road he would go ride his bicycle and Ryan was doing whatever Ryan does and I was you know doing whatever I was doing we just all kind of had our own things we would do and then come together for load in sound check and then kind of go do our own things again and then come together for the show and it was a good way to do it I mean we it worked out really well um yeah, I guess I was pretty lucky as kind of the front man to have a, a group of guys like that that got got along so well and uh, still do. All those guys still talk. I still talk to most of them. Um, you know, I talk to Aaron and Ryan usually once a week. So, um, but yeah, we got. Pretty, I was pretty fortunate in that aspect, I guess. Who came up with the idea for the bathroom uh, shows? Uh, I don't know. We were in, in uh, Eastern Colorado. And had like a night off in between maybe like a Lubbock show and a Wyoming show. And we're driving in that, you know, void of Colorado that's just nothing. Nothing is. We're in, I think, uh, Lamar, Colorado. And we had a little, you know, a little shitty hotel room. And uh, we're drinking beers and and, uh, smoking cigs or whatever. And, um, like, man, that'd be pretty cool with our tour manager at the time. It may have been been his idea, Uh, Josh. He was. He's like, I'll video you guys. You play in the bathtub or play in the bathroom, 
And uh, always, I always play in the bathroom at home. It's always got the best. It's got the best the acoustics. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to to sing in there, and so it just yeah, it kind of made sense. And um, so Aaron was like, "What do I play? You know, I can't. I'm not gonna like." <sighs> First off, I'm not going to dig through the trailer and get my my snare out or anything. I was like, you just get in the bathtub and act like you're taking a bath, and we'll all play around you. Um, so I don't know. It was cool. I don't know how many times that video's been watched, but I think it's quite a few, and and that's pretty neat because um, yeah, it was just such a one off deal. And then we, was. we we tried to recreate it uh, with the song "Home Heartbreaking Women" that I did. Um, I put I guess that was this this year. Yeah, I put that song. That was the first song I did this year. And uh, just put out the video, and I thought I always wanted to write a song as like an ode kind of to the band and, and to yeah. those days and to those guys, and uh, that was like my ode to them. And um, I hope it did a did it did you know those times justice. I think it did, just from what I remember from those days. Um, and then I was like, man, let's do a video. I never, even, I didn't plan on really recording it in the studio. I was like, let's do a video. Um, and let's do it like a bathroom sessions video. Cause after we did the first one with maybe I'll just let you down. I think we did two more cause people really liked them. I was like, let's try to I think so. Yeah. Let's try to do one in, in like every, every chance we get, let's do a video for one of the newer songs. And uh, so anyways, we re- recreated that and I had the videographer that I work with a lot. Um, he came in and like did a high production video of it. And it turned out good. I think so. If, if anybody hasn't that. seen it, they need to check it out. It's yeah. good. Yeah. That's one of my favorite projects that we've done. That was like the first music video I ever really did, and uh, I think it was a success. So yeah, go check it out. It was solid. I want to say, man, I want to say I messaged you afterwards about that one. Told you how much I appreciated it. It was a good one. Probably did. You always seem to do that. I'm Johnny on the spot. I'm about that kind of stuff. I probably <laughs> I annoyed. That. I probably annoy the hell no, out of you when I do no, that. Not at all. Um, always kind words. Speak the truth, man. Yep. If I don't like it, I don't talk about it. Hey. That's the way I've always been. That's all right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a critic yep. anymore. I used to think I was a critic. I'm not a critic. Yeah. Uh, critic. I misunderstood the word for a long time. Sure. Uh, I only talk about the stuff. I only got time for the things I like. Yep. If I don't like it, I'm not going to waste time on. Yeah. Why waste time? Especially music. So, you're a handshake guy, and I will tell you. That's an important thing these days because I think a lot of people have gotten away from that. For sure. But uh, you, you sir, have got one of the firmest handshakes I've ever. <laughs> you got a, you got a grip on that. Is is that the, the, that the outdoorsy part of you that's like I just get it? Yeah. I don't know. I just take pride in it. I feel like that's uh, as men. I don't, that's something you sh- every man should have. It's like good firm handshake. Look, you know, whoever you're shaking hands with, look, look them in the eyes, eyes, shake their hand. You know, tell them hello, tell them to get screwed, whatever you're going to tell them, just tell them that when you're shaking their hand. I, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't remember anybody teaching me that along the way. I'm sure my dad or one of my grandpas has said something about it, right. but it's just always something that I want people to do that to me. So I'm always going to, in return, I'm always going to shake your hand and look you in the eyes and tell you hello. And, um, you know, good to see you. I hadn't seen you in a while, whatever the, the case is. It's just always been one of my things. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's an important thing. It is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's such a disconnect when people, I think it's such a disconnect that people, when people don't do that. Um, and I'll, I'll dwell on like, if I, you know, it, something happened, somebody showed up and we we're done with this podcast and you got caught up talking to them and I had to bounce, you know, and I didn't get to shake your hand. I always kind of dwell on it and think about, man, I should have, should have shaken Aaron's hand. You know, I, I don't know. I guess it's just kind of old school, but it's, it's, it's man. something I take pride in. It's good. It may be old school, but I think 
and we touched on this a bit, the disconnect nowadays because of the short attention spans and instant gratification culture. I think there's certain things we lose in the human, the human connection factor of things. Um, One of the things I was asked uh, by the first couple of guests I had, am I ever going to do this over the phone? Yeah. Never going to do a podcast episode over the phone. I think I asked you the same thing just because it's, it, you know, the convenience factor being so far away, but I'm glad you said no. And, and almost forced me to come because yeah, like you said, you know, don't ever do it on the phone. That's dumb. Uh, you're not getting the point across. The point of, you know, doing doing a podcast with somebody is, like I said here, we're we're across the table from each other. I can look you in the eyes and, and tell you a story about a song I wrote or tell you, you know, whatever you're asking. Um, it's on, lost in translation. If yeah, not. on the phone, it's totally lost. There's not there's no there's no connection there. Um, and it's not a knock to anybody that does no. phone conversations because there's certain people that you're not going to be able to get yeah. without doing it by the phone. But me personally, my entire goal is this, yep. the face-to-face conversation, yep. the blending of ideas, because you you lose something. Uh, keyboard warrior people, yeah, you, you lose. I think when you try and have a conversation with somebody that's not face-to-face, that is a lengthy conversation. There's yeah. a difference, you know. Our son's in Germany stationed over there. I'm going to have a phone conversation sure. with him because he's over there. My grandmother. It's my only option. But if I have the option to do this, yeah. you gain knowledge and you share ideas and, you, and you're able to con- really connect with a person. Yeah. Um, I can ask you the same question a hundred different ways over the phone and it's not going to be the same thing. Definitely. I agree. And that, what's crazy is there's even more of a disconnect when you've got, when you talk about in between talking on the phone and texting oh. or, te- or texting and emailing, you know, emailing is a great form of communication. But I feel like it's such a uh, there's so much disconnect there. One because of the time frame. Like I check my emails every twenty thirty minutes. A lot of people check them once a day. You know, there's such a disconnect. Right. There's so many things can happen in between that time you sent the email and the time that that person responds. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. The 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 whole whatever subject you're talking about can can completely change in between the time that you send their your reply to them and then they get back with you. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of disconnect in the whole keyboard warrior lifestyle or whatever you call it texting especially i think we have gone from texting is a great means of communication when you when you can't pick up the phone because yeah. you're in a meeting or something yeah but i think as a culture and a society we've gone to well if you don't respond to my text right away no that's yeah. not the point of a text message yeah yeah that's not what it was created for for sure it was created for that i'm in a silent space yep hey can't talk right now yep call you in a few definitely they should limit all phones like 100 text messages a day or 50 text messages a day. That's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My wife would say otherwise, but. Oh, no, and no, And it's no. great. It's, it's um, you know, like in her business and in my business, I, a lot of my hunters, you know, they're busy doing their day-to-day and they can just text. And it's, I would rather text than email. Absolutely. Because it's so, so much quicker. Um, and I get it. You know, you're busy doing, you know, you're in your office or whatever. Let's just text about it. Um, but. It's not made for long conversations. One, because they get misinterpreted. If you don't put an exclamation point here or, or, a comma. A, or a comma or a dot, 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 then it's just you can't get your point across. You know, it's, it's always misinterpreted. Um, yeah, that's a We could talk about this forever. Oh, we could. <laughs> and I will tell you what's bad for me as somebody who studied English. Yeah. Texting is so, first of all, the English language is the most screwed up language on the planet. For sure, yeah. Because we've got so many double standards mm-hmm. in the in the language. And the way me actually studying it, I still don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And 
then you have the adapted culture. The texting is totally different. Yeah. So in my mind, my brain says, well, AP style or Chicago style language means this. Yeah. And what you said is neither one of those things. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's because it's the adapted shorthand version. And it's yeah. not shorthand. It's just whatever we made up, the yeah. urban dictionary version of it. And so then I get confused. I'm like, what the hell do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. We can go on. And grammatically, uh, I mean, people don't, most people when they text, and it drives me nuts to text with somebody that doesn't use a comma or periods or any punctuation at all. It drives me nuts. Oh, when it's just straight words? Yeah. It's, and it's like, what does any of this mean? It's all, it's just a giant, you know, run on sentence that just goes forever and ever. You just <laughs> taught me a paragraph, no periods. Yeah. And it's five sentences in, in one paragraph. Yeah. It's terrible. I'm, uh, I'm bad. As much as, I'm a hypocrite when it comes to that because as much as I, I'm all about correct punctuation and everything, there's times I will forget just because I'm, yeah, it's your thumbs, you're working fast, you're like, oh crap. Then I'll go back and read it and I was like, well, that's not what I wanted. And then predictive text makes it even worse. For sure. Because then it's like, that's not what I meant to say. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, we could do a whole podcast over uh, text punctuation and the correct way to do it. You should be doing it this way. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Man, Colton, I just want to tell you, thank you for coming and doing this with me. We've been sitting here for the better part of an hour and a half yeah. sharing ideas and just kind of bouncing back and playing catch up. And that's the whole idea of this podcast, off mic, off the record. I was asked for many years uh, between and during the live show or when we were at shows, when we go to commercial break, what do you guys talk about when you go off air? What do you guys talk about whenever you're backstage? And I was like, this, live. We're yeah. playing catch up. That's all we're doing. Because yeah. 90% of the time, we our paths don't cross until it's show day. For sure. Especially for you guys and a lot in your situation when you're when you're not only a touring musician, but you have the day job where you're mm-hmm. doing hunting. Or like with me, I had I have the day job too. We don't have we may text back and forth, we may do a phone call here and there, but we don't have a lot of time to really play catch up because lives yeah. are busy. Yeah. And I, I mean it's society and culture that we're in, especially the music culture. So that's what this podcast was, off mic conversations. The second half of it was off the record. And by off the record, I always like to ask the artist or the guest at the end of the show, let's close it out with something that is unreleased. Uh, maybe it's set in the back of the notebook. Maybe it's that bottom drawer song, bottom of the guitar case. It's the one that's kind of lingered around. Um, it's not the popular hit. It's not the the radio single. Maybe there is intention to record it sometime, but maybe there's not. Yeah. Who knows? But I just, I've always, I've always been fascinated with new music to me. Doesn't mean that it's new music. It just means new music to me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, for you guys and gals that are singer songwriters, you have that song that's just kind of hung around that you just haven't found the right vessel for it yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There's for me. There's piles of them. Um, well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for for always thinking of me. And every time I put something out that's that's uh, even halfway decent, you always reach out. Like I said earlier, you always reach out and. Give me your opinion on it, and I, I appreciate that yeah, uh, and respect it. Um, but yeah, there there's oh, I mean there's always a pile of songs in the back of my notebook that may not ever be recorded, or maybe one day I'll break them out. Um, some of the stuff when we came back from the four or five years off, the um, some of those songs we put out there. I'm trying to think of what's the name of the one of them. I had it recorded for a while, and then I I I'd released it. But um, let's see what's the name song was all good man i'm the same way gotta look up something yeah oh i'll still miss you yeah so i recorded that song um and it was supposed to go on the dear mom album oh wow that was 
quite a bit after. Yeah, it just didn't make it. Uh, it just didn't fit. And I was like, one of these days, I'm going to put out like an acoustic uh, type EP or album, and I think I'll put it on there. Well, then, you know, life happened and everything went down. And, um, you know, I was like, let's just put it out, you know, by itself and it can be a standalone deal. And anyway, so there's always songs like that. Um, I try to, if a song's not worth it, if I don't ever think I'm going to record it, I'll just almost just throw it away, you know, just do away with it. Gotcha. Um, but I try to, I've always, one of the slogans that's always kind of stuck in my head is all killer, no filler. You know, like every song I put out, I want it to just, I want it to hit home with somebody. Um, so I've always tried to keep that, you know, in the back of my mind. But um, think of a good song we can do. I've written some newer songs that I don't know that, I'll record them for sure, but they just don't, they might not be, uh, I don't know, necessarily what I am known for playing or, or the, the same style, um, probably because of the stuff I'm listening to now. You know, it always translates into, as a as somebody that writes songs and, and, and you know, plays songs, whatever you're listening to seems to always translate right. into your music, um, which can be a good thing and a really bad thing. You know, if I start singing, uh, you know, songs like Billie Eilish, it's, shit could get pretty weird. Hey, um, man, I am the biggest pink fan in the world. <laughs> it freaks people out whenever yeah. they listen to my playlist. And it's like Guy Clark, Bob Dylan, um, Old 97s, yeah. Toadies, pink. pink. And then there's like 15 pink songs. And they're like, she's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. So I can't, I mean, that's that's my guilty pleasure. Yeah, I, yeah. I think she's one of the greatest out there. For but, sure. I mean, that's just so very similar to you and the Billie Eilish stuff. Yeah, yeah. I love some Billie Eilish. I like a lot of... Uh, we're getting off topic here, but um, it's a podcast. We can it's do a podcast. We do that. Do. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I never had a. I never had like a, a problem with them. I just didn't never. I never liked any female artists, any female writers or singers. And here, like this past year, I've discovered ten or fifteen. Uh, you know, female singer songwriter artists, Lori McKenna's being a really good one. Lori McKenna's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can give you, I can give you a list. There, I can add to it. There's a pile of them, man. Caitlin Smith. Caitlin Smith. I was just about to say, she's, phenomenal. she is and she, pro. on stage. Her stage presence is great. Her writing's great. Her playing is really good. She can sing her ass off. Yeah. So there's a lot of really good ones. Um, Holly Williams. Hollywood. I don't know if I've heard of her. Oh, I'm about to introduce you, sir. Let's do it. Before we go off air, I'm going to introduce you to Holly Williams. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Anyways, so that was off topic. I'm going to play this tune. It's about um, this one. I'll, I'll record this on one of these days, but uh, I always wanted to write a song about, like, going home. That's where I was I was going to segue. All right, my segue was there was a song that uh, Miranda Lambert wrote about, like, going home or, or, or something like that, um, about, like, the old house that she used to live in. Or house something. that built me. Yeah, I love that song. It was actually wrote by, dang it. Probably wasn't written by her, huh? Uh, no, she picked it, but uh, while well, we're talking about this, this came up on another podcast. Did it? And I couldn't remember the name of the writer. Uh, I'm sitting here just killing time trying to get it to come up. Are you good? Um, trying to remember who wrote that song. It was hers. It was originally, Blake originally passed on that song. Oh, really? Uh, it was It was submitted to him. Uh Tom Douglas. Tom Douglas. Tom Douglas is a songwriter of Austin, and I yeah. feel bad that I couldn't remember it. Yeah. The first time I remember hearing that song was obviously her cut, and then I was watching something. Maybe it was like Troubadour, Texas, or something like yeah. that. And I saw him do it the way he wrote it. I bet he, it's epic. 
Oh man, yeah, I've got to, I've got to hear that. It is. I love that song a whole lot. It was just one of those times, like I, you see it. Uh, it's like the first time you hear "Good Night Moon." Yeah, yeah, and you're like, what, like, what just happened? What, what, what? Do, thank you. Yeah. Um. But yeah. All right. Anyway, didn't no, mean that's to, awesome. But no, um, I've always loved that song, and I've always, uh, you know, like Millsat, Texas is always that's always going to be home. Um, I never want to live there again because I don't love it that much. But it's always going to be home, and there's a lot of things that happen there that. Are always that's going to be a part of me. You know, it's, that's a place that you want to keep that nostalgia factor the same. Yeah, for sure. That's I want to keep it what it was always to me. No matter if it if it ever changes, uh, it probably never will. But if it ever changes, like I'll know it the way that I knew it back then. Right. Um, so that's kind of what this this tune's about. Um, it's it's actually really new. I actually don't even know if it's done. But maybe if it's not finished, I'll just make up some words at the end. I like that. That's that's the that's what I like about this when I when I <laughs> throw this out here when I throw these curveballs at the end is people get to hear the actual organic oh yeah how this happens because it's real music is real and it's not always perfect it and is. that's why I like to leave these little moments in here someone's like oh okay I get to hear the yeah those guys mess up occasionally yeah I'm the I'm the fan of uh, get the album like on Spotify or something like that yeah or on Apple and it's got all the the studio tracks on yeah it. for sure that's where I'm about yeah. All right, I think this one's right. Top of my head 
bottom of my feet God, it gives me chills And I wonder if those old schoolhawks Have been the same since they let us out Yeah, me and my good buddies Yeah, we gave them one hell of a fight Sir, I was transported back in time to my little stomping grounds in East Texas on that one. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Good. That's what that one's meant to do. So Good. Music travels. It sure travels does. well. Yeah. Uh, ColtonMoore.com uh, finds you on all the socials. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Colton Moore and also Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your music. Wherever. Uh, wherever. And make sure you go on YouTube and check out some of those bathroom session videos and whatnot. And uh, thank you again, sir, for doing this one. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Good times. Let's do it again. For sure. All right. Until next time, friends, I'm Aaron Bentley. Adios. Adios. Off Mike, Off the Record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check them out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley, and if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay.